You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Well, a worldview is a notoriously difficult thing to get a hold of. Precisely because you see everything through it, it's hard to know what it is and what, which one you have. It's kind of like having a baseball cap. When you're at a game and the baseball cap shields your eyes from the sun and helps you focus on certain things, brings the game itself into crystal clear focus, but it leaves obscured all the vault of heaven for that very purpose. If fish discover water last, we usually discover our worldview last. And when our worldview includes sin, it is a positive impediment to prayer. As we seek the Lord's face in prayer, as we seek His presence, as we talk about our life in Christ like we did last week, our sins obstruct us from full communion with our Lord. So it's imperative that we become aware of them. I've got some examples here. One of the sins that we struggle with as fallen human beings is that we're self-centered. In his book, The Gulag Archipelago, Alexander Solzhenitsyn noted that there are as many centers to the universe as there are people on the planet. (laughs) It's hard for us, very hard for us, to recognize our own self-centeredness. One of the places you see it come out in the life of the church is in the insistence that worship be appealing. I first came across this in my church in Michigan 20 years ago. Um, We were having some attendance issues and some well-meaning businessmen in our congregation, we had a couple self-made millionaires, um, thought that business worked the same as church and vice versa. So they put together a questionnaire for the congregation so that they could report to the pastors uh, and the, the rest of the staff how we could improve worship. Well, one of the, 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 the questionnaire was one question. Did you leave worship feeling good today? When they reported the results of that to the, the staff, it was, also, it was during Lent. Um, so it was one of these things that uh, they came to us with this result and we thought, well, it's not at all apparent to us that you should leave worship feeling good. When Jesus lays it on thick and heavy like he does today, I kind of leave church thinking a little bit chastised. Um, But we want it the way we want it. And you find this in the way we go looking for a new church. How do people go looking for a new church? They go church shopping. Church shopping. Haven't you heard that phrase? They go asking questions about appeal of the place. Um, And shopping is something we do really, really well as Americans. We, we shop constantly. We are consummate consumers. We shop for everything. And we consume everything. First we consume stuff, 
Good gracious. We have more stuff than any human beings on the face of the planet in all of history have had. Do you know, prior to our century, no one but a king needed a second place to store their stuff. But I can't drive four miles through this valley without passing a store-all location. (laughs) We have lots and lots and lots of stuff. And we consume food in an inordinate way. One of our favorite family comedians is Jim Gaffigan. He's pretty much made a 25-year career of talking about overeating. And everyone laughs, because everyone knows what he means. And of course, we consume media. We consume video and print and television, all kind of stuff. We we consume this all the time. Every time I pick out my smartphone out out of my pocket, I get some advertisement pop up on me. And, you know, there's lots of stuff on the internet. And I could spend my time studying Shakespeare, but that cat video is so attractive. (laughs) We consume in an incredible way. And what makes us consumers is not that we consume, because everyone in history has done that to some degree, but it's that we identify with our consumption. Here in this valley, 75 years ago, when it was mostly farmers, you might say to the average person in church, well, are you a farm all or a John Deere guy? Now you ask, are you an iPhone or an Android person? But notice the phrasing of it. Are you an iPhone person? Not, do you use an iPhone? Corporations spend billions of dollars every year getting us to identify with their product so that our identity becomes their product. We come to see ourselves primarily as consumers and not people who have an inherent worth in front of God or even who we don't identify ourselves by what we do, but rather by what we consume. And it's easy to do that because we look out at the world. We look out at the world and it's kind of a mess. It's kind of a mess. And the easiest thing to do when you look at that mess is numb yourself a little bit. All of our consumptive behaviors are just that. It's what psychologists call numbing behavior. It helps us feel a little bit better and innocent. We know it's not a cure for the real problem, but hey, for the moment, I feel a little bit better. And we look out at the world and see it's a mess. And Christians have been doing this for a very, very long time. It's not a modern phenomenon. But when we look out at the world, it's almost like we're surprised that pagans act like pagans. Rather than being surprised that we don't act more like Christians. Our judgmentalness can get in our way of seeing ourselves clearly, and that is a positive impediment to prayer. And when we start to look at what inside of us is much like what we address out in the world as being wrong... Well, then we have work to do, and work isn't much fun. Spiritual work is no more fun than physical work. In fact, it's a lot less fun. And and let's face it. Of all the seven deadly sins, apart from pride, sloth is the hardest one to address. Because we're just not motivated to do it. I know I'm probably lazy, but I'm not sure, and I'm not that motivated to find out. We want 
our spiritual growth to come easily. And so the last 100, 150 years of Christianity, particularly here in America, have seen a proliferation of something which we haven't seen since before the Reformation in the Middle Ages, and that's a proliferation of spiritual techniques, complex systems, that the system is complex, but the steps you get to take are easy. And some of the systems that are out there today would baffle the most dedicated medieval mystic on how to grow in our relationship with God. Now, Christians are forbidden to use magic. But, not science, but there is a way in that science and magic are very similar. C.S. Lewis noted this in his book, The Abolition of Man. I want you to hear this. So there is something which unites magic and applied science while separating both from the wisdom of earlier ages. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For magic and applied science alike... The problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. The solution is a technique. And both, in the practice of this technique, are ready to do things hitherto regarded as disgusting and impious. We want it to be easy. We want it to be easy. Because it's hard for us to change ourselves. It disturbs me when I go to a Christian bookstore and the the topics in the the Christian self-help section are really no different than the topics in the secular self-help section at Barnes & Noble. I think it springs from a, a good impulse. We look at the world, meaning Christians, look at the world and we see them chasing after things that won't satisfy. We say, wow, you know what? We really know what will satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. Here's Jesus. But when doing that, We kind of say, you know, like, you know, Snickers satisfies, Jesus really satisfies. (laughs) But in doing that, we fail to make Jesus the Lord who fundamentally questions our priorities and our desires and sets them in the right order. We turn him into just one more way to meet our wants and needs. Because we want our needs and our wants met on our terms. And this is by far the hardest of all the spiritual blinders we wear and the hardest to discover you're wearing it yourself. We are proud. We are proud. We do want to be that center of the universe. We want to see things the way we want to see them. And so... This issue, this, this particular sin of pride giving birth to all the other sins in our lives may explain why Jesus' first public words in the Gospel of Mark are that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. See, repentance isn't just the start of the spiritual life. It's not just the door by which you enter. It's the path itself. And the longer we walk with God, the more fervent we become in our prayer, the more we seek God's face, the more we will discover we have to repent of because He's going to peel those layers back and you're going to go, oh, I didn't realize I had that sin in there. There's another one to repent of. Oh, here's another one. Here's another one. But little by little, we get purified that way. 
And the God who saved us helps us work out our salvation with fear and trembling so we may become holy as He is holy. And by His grace. So as I'm preaching today, I have to admit that I could hear my grandmother in my head saying, you don't wear hats inside! (laughs) Especially not in church. (laughs) But did you find it distracting that I was wearing these hats? It's just as distracting when you look in your own spiritual mirror. These worldviews we hold on to, these sins which we don't even know we have as part of our way of thinking are obstructing part of the view of the world to us. They help us focus on certain things very well and they help us ignore other things. And when we look in our own spiritual mirror, these things get in the way too. They also get in the way when we try to tell people about Jesus. And what a difference He can make in their lives. Because if they look at me telling them about Jesus, and they see this, they can't hear what I'm saying. If we really want to grow, we have to earnestly ask God to reveal our sins to us so that we can set them aside and truly grow in His grace. The good news is that the God who saved us at the cross will not give up on us, has not given up on us. As many times as we turn, He is there. Restoring, renewing, revitalizing, and teaching us how to walk in His ways. If sin is an impediment to prayer, repentance is the way that we move forward in prayer. It's always the grease on the gears. And God won't give up on on us until we enjoy the full riches of the inheritance for which He died to give us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we come before You and we know that Your way is better than our way, higher than our way. And we do confess to our self-centeredness and our fixation on consuming and our desire to be right. Sometimes our looking at others to confess their sin instead of our own. Lord, we ask that you give us the grace to turn from that, to turn toward you, to open our hearts to you and truly seek your will and your ways. Lord, we can't do this in our own power, but you've not abandoned us to do so. You've promised that if we don't want our God to be our belly, you are there with us even to the end of the age, assisting, leading, guiding, and empowering. Help us to truly become your people as we use our recipe cards this week, Lord. Reveal our sin to us so we may turn from it and back to you who is the font of all life. We ask this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and